From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Welcome back to From the Void and part two of my two-part series with UFO investigator Preston Dennett. If you haven't heard part one yet, I'd highly recommend hitting pause and listening to part one first. If you've already heard part one, then welcome back to the conclusion of UFOs and Catalina Island. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I it it I couldn't help but think about, um, gosh, one of the one of the kind of older, more famous, uh, and you know, uh, UFO abduction cases with uh, Whitley Strieber, who you know, you know, where, wherever you fall in terms of you know, if you if you believe his story or not, uh, he has kind of changed his outlook on it over the years. To when he originally recounted his experience, it was just kind of this terrifying, almost you know, evil. Uh, agenda. And now he thinks that it's just a situation where perhaps his fear was kind of clouding his experience. And he, it, and if he had not reacted in the way that he had, that maybe it would have been a more benevolent, ex- benevolent, excuse me, experience uh, than, than kind of what he felt it was, I guess, uh, by yeah, the end. Yeah. He, he, he was a horror fiction writer. Remember mm-hmm. that's what he did, which I think was probably, <laughs> in part because of what he was experiencing, uh, which did cause a big fear response, and he was working through his fear by writing horror novels. Yeah. <laughs> Love his book, Communion, uh, and which was one of very, very few books, which is have hit the New York Times bestseller list. He really popularized this subject. He, Bud Hopkins, you know, a few other people uh, really brought this to the forefront. John Mack, David Jacobs, those are the big three. And they would point out that every single, you know, John Mack, Bud Hopkins, and David Jacobs all had multiple accounts of people who've been healed. <laughs> Barbara Lamb, I've got many. Most major researchers um, have cases of physical healings, uh, which is not getting the attention it deserves. We're a very fear-based society. We're trained to fear. You know, we're, I think that's been, you know, a very strong sort of push towards by these one percenters, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. And uh, that's a little insulting too to call people conspiracy theorists just because they're digging for the truth. And uh, the fact is there is a conspiracy. There is, it's demonstrable. There's a cover up. Don't tell me there's not, I can prove it. It's easily provable. Uh, so uh, we're dealing with a very tough situation right now. The government cover-up is not over. It is still in place. There is still a very tight security lid on hard UFO evidence. The crash retrieval phenomena is a perfect example. This is the best evidence we have, and none of it, zero, is in the public arena. 
And that's got to change. Yeah, and to to your point, there was a um, essay that I read recently by Nick Pope, uh, who worked for the Ministry of uh, Defense in the UK uh, some years ago. Uh, but he wrote this essay. I, be- I believe it's the beginning of Alan Steinfeld's new book um, on uh, on basically on disclosure and how to prepare for for that sort of reality. And he talks about just how governments kind of have this multi layered approach in an effort to hide the truth and. You know, by through using uh, you know means like um, uh, government contractors who don't work directly. You know, it's not an actual government organization. It's it's contracted out through a government organization. So, so, so oftentimes, you know, Freedom of Inf- Information Act does not apply to the release of documents through that group who are doing the uh, the study uh, and things like that. And he makes this point. He's like, yeah. look, it's never been about the fact that you know it might freak people out in the public, you know, like we're not ready to, for this new reality that there are other uh, beings out there in the universe that space isn't just this empty void. It's always been about the fact that whoever gets this technology first, you know, runs the show. Like there's money and power and military advancement uh, connected to all of this. That's what it's always been about. It has nothing to do with scaring the crap out of the general public. It's about, it's always about money, (laughs) you know? I'm shocked we don't get along better. There's a limited number of countries on our planet. Right. Uh, You know, a couple of hundreds. We're we're a family, you know, and we're such a dysfunctional family. Mm. It drives me nutty. I'm like, can't we get along? And here we have companies that sell weapons to both sides and have made war a business. And uh, this is, there's no reason for it. And if, if I could just bring up another case from my book, uh, Wondrous. Yeah. Uh, I, in terms of, you know, whistleblower accounts, uh, yeah, this guy contacted me because he was involved in the Malmstrom incident, uh, which is very famous UFO encounter over Malmstrom, Montana, a, a nuclear missile base <laughs> in which UFOs came down and shut down the entire base. I mean, all the missiles went offline. Robert Salas, God bless him, was the first whistleblower who came forward with this, went through a lot of grief uh, because of it, put out a book, Faded Giant, on this case, and got a number of first-hand eyewitnesses. He was below ground. He didn't see the actual craft, but he found other witnesses who did. And uh, in brief, yeah, these craft came over Malmstrom in 1967 and shut down these missiles. And Mel Hansen contacted me. He had contacted a, a few other researchers and was getting kind of the runaround, which oh, makes me wonder. <laughs> I'm like, because are some of these researchers, you know, mm, not working for the good of humanity and are actually trying to cover this up? So, I, I mean, his story is very important and incredible. And <laughs> I'm like, really? You had trouble getting this out? And it came to me. Uh, and uh, I'm like, wow, yes, I will tell your story. And he was actually there at one of the missile bases, right, you know, working on it, doing maintenance, uh, in a Jeep outside one of these missiles when at night, one of these craft showed up, it blocked off the stars, it was huge, it was silent, hovered right over the missile, and the missile went offline. And this missile has a backup system, you know, multiple backup systems. So it goes offline from, you know, the electric lines 
and immediately goes on to the diesel generator, which keeps it powered up. And that went offline, and it immediately went on to battery power. And then that went offline, and it was shut down. Uh, so this is a big, big incident. And I can see why, from a military perspective, the guys at the top are like, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> aliens, this, they're enemies, hostile, hostile, you know, threat. This is a threat. They're taking over. Uh, when, so from a military perspective, I get it, and I'll give them some sympathy for that. But if they really wanted to, they could have taken the missiles. I mean, they could have completely destroyed the missiles, and they didn't. They just shut them off for you know, a period of hours and allowed us to turn them back on. So this is very clearly just a sort of a, a warning, a little slap on the wrist saying, what are you doing? This has been their number one message to all contactees, is nuclear proliferation. You're going to kill yourselves. You are causing damage not only to your own planet, but to areas you're not even aware of in other dimensions. This is why the modern age of UFOs coincides exactly with the atomic age, because it attracted attention from across the universe. And now we have UFOs crowding around our planet like, you know, bees to flowers. I mean, like, Jeez, I mean, there's a lot, lot, lot of activity. The super wave began in 1947 and hasn't really stopped. And that's no coincidence. They are here because they are trying to stop us from destroying our planet and here to watch us as we do it. Uh, so I think that's the real thing that's going on here is we are at a real crux in our civilization. We are facing an existential crisis. Absolutely. And, and I, I know skeptics out there would say, well, how do we know since it's not enemy forces who are just kind of observing and using you know, some sort of new technology to mess with our nuclear sites and our nuclear silos? But this has been reported as having happened in the former Soviet Union as well, right? This has happened in other countries where these UFOs have shown up outside of military bases and outside of nuclear sites and have done the same thing to you know, our enemies as well. Yeah, yeah, I would point to the book by Lawrence Fawcett and Barry Greenwood. Uh, the UFO cover-up, or Clear Intent, it was republished as the UFO cover-up, but it was really published as Clear Intent, where they've hovered over m many, many of our Air Force bases. And I have to tell you, anything nuclear, <laughs> whether it's a power station or a guided missile cruiser or a submarine with torpedoes on it, uh, has attracted UFOs. I talked to one guy, uh, Gary, Gary Wagoner. He was stationed on the USS Long Beach off the coast of Catalina, and they had a UFO incident. This is a guided missile cruiser, you know, nuclear-powered guided missile cruiser. Talked to another guy. Ray, this is a great story. Uh, this is in my book on USOs, Undersea UFO Base, uh, which is really about the Catalina Island complex of sightings of USOs, uh, but this story, he contacted me because there's not a lot of information out there about USOs, and I was kind of reluctantly dragged into the whole USO phenomena, <laughs> but fine, I'll, I'll do it, because I've investigated so many cases of USOs, and his story, he was stationed on the USS Clamagore, uh, this is back in 1971, he's heading up the east coast at about 12 knots on the surface of the ocean at night, 
He's on watch with another petty officer. He's an electrician's mate. And the commander is also there, Commander Boyne. The second in command, four people are on topside as they're cruising along the surface of the Atlantic up the East Coast when a USO shows up, an unidentified submersible object comes zooming towards their sub and starts pacing it right alongside it. You know, if you're within a quarter mile of any other sea craft, that's too close. And this was right next to it. <laughs> very large, you know, like they couldn't quite tell it was underwater, uh, very bright. First thing the commander says is calls the, to, goes to Ray, who's in contact with the sonar crew, says, do they see anything? You know, do they have this on sonar? And no, they didn't. This was invisible to sonar. So that was confusing. And uh, this thing paced this clamagor, which is carrying nuclear-tipped torpedoes. That was not known at the time, but now we do know. And uh, paced the submarine for 15 minutes, during which time all the major officers <laughs> came up on deck one by one because they wanted to see it too. And uh, then they went back below. No one could identify it. This came in at about 100 knots, you know, far faster than any submarine we have, officially or unofficially, because I've talked to some you know, submariners, and they said, oh, we have stuff that can go you know, upwards of 50 knots, uh, which supposedly we don't have. But yeah, we do, but not 100. <laughs> right. Uh, and this thing you know, stayed and then left in another direction, moving slightly less fast, maybe 70 knots, he said. And... Uh, the second in command, this, this, I don't know, makes me laugh. It shouldn't, because it's very serious. But uh, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, the second in command turns to Commander Boyne and says, Sir, how do you want me to record this in the log? Um, this is according to Ray Sachs, the guy I interviewed. And Commander Boyne says, Anyone who reports this kind of incident in the log, does not move up in ranks. <laughs> wow. Uh, so it wasn't recorded. Officially, there was, it didn't happen. I have to believe that Commander Boyne reported this to the Pentagon or to his superiors. I mean, he's a very, very high-level individual here. Uh, but he, who knows? We have no idea. And how do you get information on this if it was never written down? That's been a policy to leave no paper trail. It's another reason why this cover-up has been so effective. Also because the ridicule factor was actually put into place intentionally to make people feel like idiots if they see a UFO. Uh, so this... Uh, wow. Don't get me started. <laughs> I, get so, I get so angry. and That's why I'm doing this. I want to see the darn Roswell craft. I have a right Gosh, that would be interesting. Just oh my to gosh, go inside yeah. and spin those little seats around and look at that panel. <laughs> oh, man, I want to see it so bad. Well, I, I think from a purely scientific standpoint, you know, I grew up as a kid just fascinated with space and space travel. And, you know, I remember um, as a kid, you know, getting my hands on anything I could, you know, like back in those days, everything was on cassette tape. So, you know, getting cassette tapes on, you know, Halley's Comet and, you know, and all these different things. And so I've always been fascinated with with bridging that gap between stars and finding out what else is out there. And if there is a chance in my lifetime that we could potentially have technology that would allow us to do that. 
and to explore the universe, uh, you know, I, I want that. I want to know, I want to know what else is out there. I want to see what <laughs> other planets look like, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm glad you brought up uh, Catalina Island because, um, as I said, I became familiar with your work through happening to see you on a, a TV uh, show recently. You were on uh, Expedition X, which is one of my one of my favorite shows to, to watch. And uh, they reached out to you um, based on your research on these incidents around Catalina Island. And there is a connection there, I believe, right, with the USS Nimitz and that incident where there's uh, there's there was some more to the story, it seems. Uh, beyond just the fact that our jets were kind of uh, chasing around these UFOs, it seems uh, that the other part of the story that we didn't hear, at least immediately, was that they also witnessed something under the water that was quite large. Uh, and there were a couple additional uh, military officers that have now come forward and said, yeah, we saw this thing the size of a 747 under the under the water and we have no idea what it was and there were additional ufos that were kind of circling around it now i'm probably you know getting some of that off so correct me where i'm wrong there but what what other additional information do you have in terms of what happened that day and what other things they saw yeah no you you got it right <laughs> that's exactly what happened and i didn't know about this incident uh when i you know was doing my research and I have many similar, very similar, very large craft underwater and smaller ones above, darting around. Uh, there is something about this area that is particularly conducive to UFO slash USO activity. Uh, the Santa Catalina Channel, the San Pedro Channel in, particu in particular, this area stretching north from, I'm going to say, the you know, Santa Barbara Channel Islands area all the way south to you know, San Diego even, San Clemente, uh, has produced an abnormally, disproportionately large number of USO encounters. And the, the uh, Tic Tac incident uh, was right there on the southern end, but I think it's definitely part of this whole co complex of sightings. Uh, every researcher that I contacted in Southern California who you know, is based here, has cases. I'm a relative latecomer to this field. I mean, this has been seriously studied for decades. Long before I came into this field in 1986, people have been studying this. And uh, I will say, like Bill Hamilton, he has cases uh, of USOs in this area. Robert Stanley, uh, Yvonne Smith, Barbara Lamb, uh, Ann Druffel, she was a pioneer in this field. She said in the 1970s, we'd have to study the Santa Catalina Channel. Something is going on here. And uh, I've collected, you know, documented some 150 cases of UFOs and USOs right in this one area, a sharply defined area uh, stretching back to the 1920s, actually. Really ramped up in the late 1940s. Since then, it's been high-quality cases pretty much yearly, well, multiple for that matter, which is just the surface, just the tip of the iceberg, honestly, because oh, let's just say one in 10 people are reporting it. It's really closer to one in 100, but let's just say it's one in 10. And if you have, you know, 150 cases, uh, well, what's that <laughs> times 10? That's, you know, over a thousand times that by a hundred. <laughs> well, we're 10,000. Mm, I mean, this is getting astronomical. Uh, so there's something going on here. 
And that's when I, I started getting accounts of not one or two objects, or even 10 or 20, but I'm talking 30 or 40 or 50. I have three or four cases involving 100 or 200 objects. So that's when I started really scratching my head because I had a number of contactees telling me, I think there's a base down there. You know, I really do. And some weren't taken inside a UFO. They were taken to an underground base. I've got four cases of that. People taken from this area. One directly from Catalina Island. One from Malibu. One from the Channel Islands. Uh, so there, you know, I think I can build a pretty compelling uh, case for the existence of what might be an undersea base, UFO base, honest to God, in this area. And this was long before the so-called Malibu anomaly turned up. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but this went viral in 2000 and, oh gosh, it was after 2006, um, 2000, I forget what year it went, it could have been too, much later, 2016 even. Uh, but it was first noted in 2006 by Robert Stanley, but then went viral when Jimmy Church used Google applications to sort of peer into the water there and saw this anomaly, which looks like a structure. <laughs> it's got a flat top, it's got pillars, it's got what looks like a tunnel. It looks like this weird sort of maybe alien base or something. Uh, so, so perhaps it is, because it's close. You know, I, I kind of predicted a base was right there, and uh, boom, <laughs> it's a, right where the sightings are thickest. So I think that there could very well be a base there, and probably one of many across our planet. Something's going on at this Catalina Island area, uh, and that Expedition X uh, program. Wow, I was hoping they would see something. I really was. I thought they might because they're bringing some really good technology. And uh, they did. Yeah. And not just once. Yep. Damn, did you see it? Yeah, oh, it was something, incredible. Something came right up out of the water and they caught it on film. Well, and... and Darting when, around. Yeah, and when he, when he went to... Uh, uh, when they went to drop the, uh, the underwater camera down and it malfunctioned as soon as it saw that flash of light in the water... And then minutes later, I think, is when they saw the object come out of the water from the other vantage point, almost as a reaction to, oh, nope, you're getting too close. You can't, you know. But I wasn't expecting, yeah. honestly, I mean, you know, I watch a lot of those programs for purely entertainment value, um, you know, because it's always, it's hard to say, you know, how much of it is kind of pumped up for entertainment and how much of it is legitimate evidence. But, you know, so often you you don't, you know, Anybody who's watched a Bigfoot you know, TV show, you know they're never going to find a Bigfoot, you know, but you hope they do, you know. So, like, this program, you know, I, they've captured some interesting evidence before, so I kind of had my hopes up, but I thought, well, you know, maybe some odd things will happen, but I certainly was not expecting, not only once, but twice, because uh, they were using the, um, what are they called, a DAP camera earlier in the show uh, that's designed... Uh, through computer software to identify anything in the sky as either an airplane or a planet or a satellite or whatever, and completely captured this unidentified flying object moving in very strange ways, uh, very unnatural ways. And uh, I would have been happy with that. But then later on, you know, when they're, when they're investigating the, the depths of that, that area in the water, you know, to, to catch the evidence they caught there as well was, was remarkable. I thought it was very fascinating. 
You know, I've been on a number of t TV shows and reality TV shows and the news, and some of it is scripted. And, you know, particularly some of... You can kind of tell when people are acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's, it's not... And I worry about that because uh, having been on a number of shows, uh, I've seen people's testimonies manipulated. And, uh, and I worry about, you know, just flat out lies uh, being perpetrated on the public, uh, which I think can happen and probably has happened. Uh, I've seen it happen. I'm, just, I'm not going to name names or TV shows, but there's a few who are certainly on my naughty list because I caught <laughs> them in flat out lies, flat mm -hmm. out. Uh, and I was on one TV show where they you know, handed me a list of questions they wanted me to answer, and then they handed me my answers. I'm like, wow. What? <laughs> And yeah, once I was on the news, no less, I'm like, here's where a UFO landed, you know, right in this field. And the newscaster sees a gopher hole, and he's like, oh, is that, is that where it landed? Is that a landing trace? I'm like, no, 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 that's a gopher hole. I mean, that's a gopher hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and he says, well, would you mind pointing at it <laughs> and saying it's a landing trace? And I just did a double take. I'm like, well, of course I mind. He says, well, just point at it. Put your hand in it. And I was wise enough not to do that because I have been burned a few times. Yeah. Where, you know, I, I, they ask me a question and I tell my answer. And they ask me another question and I tell my answer. And then they switch the questions on me and wow. put the answer to one question, to a, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the, uh, they can make you say anything they want uh, in very creative ways. And I know people, some researchers who are like, won't, deal with certain programs <laughs> like that's it i am not doing it and i've i've seen this i feel like expedition x is good i really do good good uh, because they they uh, don't get stuff you know they go out looking for the chupacabra and it's right. a fun show you know and i love josh gates he's a really funny guy oh he's hilarious uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and very entertaining and just very sincere that's and, good. Uh, That's so good to hear. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you sort of get a feel. Um, and they didn't, you know, tear up my testimony and make me look like, you know, kind of a kook. Yeah. Uh, which has happened to me. And there are, you know, some shows that have done really well. Um, a lot of these shows are sort of just talking heads and you give your opinion on certain cases. But um, no, they dug in and they use some very expensive equipment. I mean, that camera you're talking about, is no joke. <laughs> that thing costs a lot of money. Uh, so uh, I was very pleased with how that show came out. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, and it, it's got to be frustrating from your perspective as someone who's trying to do legitimate research and move this uh, this field of study along and to have to deal with things like uh, you know less than scrupulous programs who are just trying to get viewers and entertain. And it's like that just continues to muddy the water and it... I mean, it's, it, it is partially probably why they had to change the, the name from UFO to UAP just because UFO had been sort of, um, you know, uh, poo-pooed or had become this taboo term that had been ridiculed yeah. for so long. It's like we can't even use that term without somebody giggling, you know. Uh, that's their fault. Right. <laughs> they did that to us. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> That's I mean, true. this was brought up at a White House press conference. I think the fir first time recently was with President Trump and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, yeah. was asked, you know, what, 
does Trump believe in UFOs? What's his opinion on the whole UFO situation? And there was nervous laughter tittering through the press room. That happened again recently, uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. With Biden, who kind of dodged the question. Right. Uh, but did you hear what Obama said? Yes. Oh, yeah. Remarkable. I mean, that's to me that that I mean, beyond even these credible witnesses like uh, your Lou Elizondo's and your Christopher Mellon and folks like that, certainly huge, massive, massive, credible people who have who have uh, come forward uh, to the detriment of their own careers, potentially, and have obviously made huge contributions to stepping this thing forward. But a former president on, on national television uh, admitting that, yes, UFOs are real. Uh, to the extent of what information he probably has, because as you said earlier, because we're so compartmentalized, I'm not convinced that any president has the full story, you know, and is briefed on everything that we know. Right. Uh, some did. I think uh, for the first President Bush, yeah, <laughs> head of the CIA. <laughs> I mean, oh, I bet on. he did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and Eisenhower, Truman, who allegedly started, you know, the whole MJ12 organization. Yeah. Uh, some, some Kennedy was allegedly going to go public. And that was the force behind his assassination, according to a number of researchers who've looked into this. Wow. Uh, so I think all presidents are somewhat within the loop. Nixon allegedly saw the alien bodies and showed them to Jackie Gleason. Yeah, I've heard that. To, you know, yeah. Yeah, which is a fairly well-authenticated story. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder, yeah, how much they're all into the loop. And President Obama, when he went on... A nighttime talk show. What was it? A late late show, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, said, uh, what did he say? Oh, there's stuff I can't talk about. Yes. Like, talk about it. Please. What are they going to do to you? <laughs> right. What are they? I mean, really, I'm seriously, what will they do to you if you just say what you're holding back? Are they going to kill you? Well, this has happened. Yeah. People have died. I am not kidding. Mm -hmm. This has, you know, been part of the people in the Roswell incident. Oh, my God. There was some very suspicious deaths involved with that. I would point to James Forrestal as an individual who's, you know, claimed to have committed suicide, but mm, a lot of researchers don't think so. And if you look at the work of Leonard Stringfield, uh, nicest guy, I contacted him. and He was really gracious, sent me signed copies of his status reports. Uh, which are all about the crash retrievals. He was spearheaded the crash retrieval study, which was debunked for decades. This was an area of UFO research that researchers wouldn't even touch. The very first guy, Frank Scully, wrote Behind the Flying Saucers, and he was viciously attacked, and his book was debunked or attempted to be debunked. Now researchers have looked into it because he mentioned the Aztec craft. And people were like, ah, no, it didn't happen. You know, the, the scientists, there was, they were hoaxers and blah, blah, blah. No, nope, they weren't. <laughs> they were viciously attacked. And people have lost their lives over this. And wow. I think this is why, you know, astronauts have not come forward uh, fully. When we know from NASA insiders like Maurice Chatelain and Chris Kraft, and many others that we were followed to and from the moon on the Apollo and Gemini missions. And if you look into the research on the moon, oh my God, 
Um, will the real moon please rise? I mean, there's two moons there, one with nothing on it, and one that's filled with alien artifacts. And uh, I think this second one is the true story, because uh, just look at you know, Glenn Steckling's book, We Found Alien Bases on the Moon, or George Leonard's book, Somebody Else is on the Moon. And those are just the first two. There's a whole, this is a genre of literature now. Uh, so that's another story that will break wide open at some point as now we're going back to the moon. Which, why did we stop? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. we stopped? That makes no sense. It's not that far away. Yeah, we went there quite a few times and all of a sudden it was, uh, you know, no, <laughs> we don't need to continue going. Um, gosh, yeah, that is that is interesting. And I've heard reports as well of... Um, some uh, broadcasts from, uh, I believe it was Neil Armstrong himself that were caught by ham radio operators at the time saying, uh, we're not the only ones up here, you know, that were caught by multiple people who were, you know, ham radio operators um, at the time. Yeah. Edgar Mitchell, you know, is one of the few guys who said flat out, they're real. UFOs are real. (laughs) I've seen them. He, He didn't say he saw them on the moon. He saw them while he was flying a jet, but he went Full on forward. Gordon Cooper um, said he was there in Edwards Air Force Base. Saw the film of a UFO landed on the runway. Um, many of the astronauts have made sort of veiled statements. Uh, uh, but uh, I think they knew a lot more and still towed the party line. I don't quite understand why. I hope one of these guys just flat out says, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what happened. Because it's going to come out. You I like what Buddha said. Yeah. <laughs> There's three things you can't hide. The sun, the moon, and the truth. Um, and, <laughs> I like and, that. Uh, our, yeah, you can't hide the sky. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> right. So s- sooner or later, the truth is going to come out, and heads are going to roll. And I think if we just sort of forgive our government for the very bad way they bungled this, and say, listen... <laughs> You know, we understand, you know, the, why you covered up the Roswell incident. You were freaking out. They did release, a, you know, that press release. <laughs> right. Oh, if that had just gone forward. Can you imagine a different world we'd be living in? Oh, my if, goodness. If Tesla, you know, if Tesla's technology hadn't been so viciously covered up, we'd be living in a different world. If the electric car hadn't been attacked by the oil industry, that would have been out decades ago and now we're it's we're moving towards full-on electric cars yeah we have much the technology that's within military hands is 50 years ahead of everything we see uh publicly man that's incredible Uh, so uh you know flat screen tvs they're not new right (laughs) no cell phones sorry you know star star trek got a lot of stuff right because it was already in existence and we, I've been told by people who should know, who are in the know, that 20% maybe of the UFOs we see are our own. And I would caution everyone about the triangular craft, because this is a big thing right now. Yeah. Uh, those, those, yeah, I, I was I was heading that way actually. That was going to be my because my, I know we're running low on time here. Um, my, my last question for you was actually along those lines. So... Obviously, we've seen a number of reportings of very different shaped aircraft. Obviously, we have the traditional disc shape. We've got kind of these glowing orb looking 
UFOs. We've got the Tic Tac-shaped ones, cigar-shaped UFOs, uh, triangular-shaped UFOs. So in your estimation, based on your research and folks that you've talked to, uh, are, are we dealing with, as you said, uh, a certain percentage of them that are our uh, technology? And then we've got some other that are off-planet. And if so, the off-planet ones, are we dealing with different uh, alien races here? Like, what's what? Who, who's piloting these things? Yeah, it's mostly grays. I'm going to say, by and large, what people are seeing is exactly what we think it is. ETs. Piloted by grays. Human-looking ETs. So-called Nordics. I don't like that term because it's, you know, not just Nordic in, you know... <laughs> terms of race. I mean, we've got people who are human-looking ETs who have dark skin, you know, look Mesoamerican or Peruvian or Middle Eastern. Um, it's across the board. So there's, there's grays of many different types, by the way. Hmm. Human-looking, praying mantis, uh, and what I would call strange humanoids of all types. Unique humanoids. Uh, those are, the, I would say, the four main categories. And one, I'm using a catch-all category. Because I mean, there's robotic beings. There's very tall humanoids. There's light beings. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And the shapes of craft, I don't think any really convincing research has been able to tie the shape of craft to the type of being on board. People have tried, but it's very frustrating because we have boomerang-shaped craft. We have saucer-shaped craft, which is still the most common. Hmm. But there's spherical. There are manta ray-shaped. <laughs> there's ones that are not even asymmetrical, or symmetrical, rather, they're asymmetrical. Uh, all different kinds. Uh, triangular, certainly. Uh, but this recent buzz about triangular craft being our own reverse-engineered craft. I'm like, hey, you know, is this, could this be true? And so I went back through my files, and I'm like, wow, you know, I have surprisingly few triangular cases. I have some. And I know of some where people were taken on board a triangular craft, and it was not ours. Hmm. It was Gray's. You know? So I, I, I'm not going to say all triangular craft are our own, but apparently a lot may be uh, our own. Maybe 20%, uh, particularly near Area 51 or Edwards Air Force Base or places where we do this sort of thing. But I don't think what people saw over Phoenix Lights was our own dead certain on that because Luke Air Force Base went on lockdown, launched jets after it, issued numerous contradictory statements, as for that matter did the police, and everyone who's tried to investigate this at to any federal level has been completely stonewalled, and Freedom of Information Act's got nowhere. City government wouldn't even look at it, except for, God bless her, Francis Barwood, yeah. <laughs> who was receiving hundreds and hundreds of calls from people up and down the spectrum, even airport control tower operators and military officials, police officers, and you know, a lot of people. And she basically was kicked out of office because of it. Sort of, she became known as a, quote, UFO candidate and received a lot of ridicule. Yep. But still took it on. She took the bull by the horns. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, there are some schools of thought that the abduction phenomenon isn't even real that it's government doing it. Nope. I don't believe that for a second. And I don't think any real researcher who's dug into this believes it. I don't think Bud Hopkins believes that, or David Jacobs, or John Mack, 
or Barbara Lamb, or you know, people who've looked into this, but there are some leading researchers who feel like they're my labs, military abductions. Uh, and I have to say, yeah, I think that does occur. I think there are people who've been abducted by the military and given very negative experiences and made to believe it was aliens. And for that matter, I know people who've had abductions by greys and saw military personnel on board. So there does seem to be some level of cooperation with this. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, it's a small smattering of cases, but certainly enough, I think, that deserves serious consideration. But by and large, no. When someone sees a UFO and it's landing in your backyard, <laughs> this is not a government craft. Government cr test craft do not chase cars down the road and scoop them up into the sky. They don't hover over people's homes. They don't do displays over crowds of people, uh, by and large. But to, to, to a certain extent, yeah, some of this is. And right now, there's this, all this fear of a false flag event. Uh, which is kind of frightening to me that our government is trying to spin this UFO situation into a threat. And it's gonna, this is sort of the story that people are nervous about and a lot of buzz in the UFO community about this. There's going to be a false flag event where the government comes down in a UFO, <laughs> totally silent, a giant triangular craft, and starts you know, doing hostile things, blowing up an airbase, you know, hurting people. If this happens... Uh, that's going to be very unfortunate. It's going to be a huge mistake, and they're bungling it further, and they're digging themselves into a deeper hole if they do this. So I hope they really consider what they're doing, if this is their plan, because it won't be allowed to continue. The government may think they're in charge, but they're not. There's the true biggest force on our planet is the people. Yeah. We are the ones who are actually in control because there's a lot of us and the one percenters is truly less than one percent. <laughs> uh, and be, for that matter, who's really in control? Uh, if it's the ETs. They are on top of things. They can shut down whole neighborhoods to take people on board. They can, I don't want to say stop time, but pull people out of the time stream. I mean, I've talked to so many people who've had experiences when suddenly nobody's moving around them. <laughs> Start, cars have stopped. The leaves aren't moving. Birds are stuck in the sky. I don't think they're stopping time throughout the entire universe or even in the neighborhood. I think they're... I don't know how they're doing this, but they do this. And they can pull people into the past, into the future for that matter. They've shown people future events that do take place. They are on top of things. They have really worked hard, I think, to study us and, you know, really sort of guide us to a large extent. So I'm not too worried about our future, despite how rocky it is right now, because I feel like they're the ones who are in charge. And they have our best interests in mind, for the most part. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what happens in this generation I think we are going to have increasing steps towards disclosure. And once we have full disclosure, and by that I mean, you know, the end game, show us the Roswell craft, that's for sure we will have open official contact. And for that matter, I think it probably will happen within our lifetimes. Um, I think it might happen next month. I doubt it, but it could. 
Yeah. Um, but over, <laughs> over the next 10, 20 years, probably. And because I think the ETs are like, if you don't, we will. And I think we are going to have open official contact as soon as, you know, <gasps> this year, next year, five years, I think would be tops before we have a, a major, major event that says we're real. They may not land, but they're going to pull a Phoenix Lights incident that's, you know, 10 times of what happened at Phoenix. That's my feeling. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, get, I, I can only imagine. And uh, obviously, this is purely speculative, but if assuming that there are multiple alien species who are visiting, I, I often wonder if if they're in communi- communication with one another and as they're observing us and they're like, man, these, these, it's like a bunch of kids down there with dynamite sticks, you know, it's like, when are they going to evolve to the point where they stop blowing each other up, you know? And I, I kind of yeah, wonder. They're if- absolutely in communication. They are, they work together. We've seen that. They're very, very telepathic. You can't lie to an ET. ETs can't lie to each other. They don't need government. They don't have a federalized government. They are in cooperation. They're very, nerdy people <laughs> all about exploring they're all about science they're all about learning they're all about progress very you know the only law you know i've talked to a number of contactees about it is moral law hmm. you know they don't you know have problems with crime assault rape murder this is not a problem in their society um, disease has even been largely eradicated so that's why <laughs> We should really, you know, take a second look at this. If you ha- are having a strong fear response to your encounters, step back, take a deep breath. You know, let's look at what's happening to you. Why are you so scared? What actually happened to you? Because I've talked to people who've been taken on board and had identical experiences, and they can come back with completely different outlooks. And people who work through their fear usually come around and say, you know what, this actually did, it's not bad news for me. I, don't th- I think w- this is good news for humanity. I'm so excited uh, to have these guys out there. And if you don't believe in UFOs, please do your homework. I mean, look, just any major, all the astronomers say, oh yeah, they've got to be real. If they're not visiting our planet, they still believe that we're not the only life on Earth. Or I mean, uh, you know, in the universe, rather. Uh, it's an exciting time for UFO research right now. It's really it's mainstream. I've waited for decades for this. <laughs> yeah, and finally it's happening. It's an incredible time. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm I'm uh, I'm shocked and and uh, so pleased. You know that uh, you know that that this has come uh, to a place now where you know uh, average people who maybe aren't necessarily believers yet or weren't believers before. And I think healthy skepticism, of course, is great. You know, we need that. Um, But the fact that there are ongoing, there are conversations happening now that wouldn't have happened if this thing wouldn't have kind of, uh, you know, uh, come out into the mainstream. So, you know, in large part, obviously, I'm hugely grateful to like Ralph Blumenfall and uh, um, Leslie Kane, you know, who who, uh, put it into the New York Times like a a year ago and and some of the other... um, mainstream publications that that really you know took a took a risk really to put this put this out there but really got the conversation going and started to kind of push this thing along so yeah yeah. lots of really wonderful pioneers in this field jim and coral lorenzen they're my heroes they started the first ufo citizens group james mcdonald one of the first scientists to look into this j allen hynek i'm gonna call him a whistleblower he came out of blue book and discussed 
He's like, oh my God, they spent all money on Venus and you know, ridiculing <laughs> witnesses and ignored the best cases. And Blue Book didn't even get the best cases. They were rooted to the Air Technical Intelligence Command. So <laughs> lots of really wonderful pioneers in this field. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming. This is so fascinating and, and so interesting. And, and uh, um, thank you so much for coming on and, and spending your afternoon with me uh, talking about this topic that is, again, is is uh, thriving right now, is is important. Um, and uh, I, I'm just I'm so pleased that we were able to, to, to kind of talk about some of these really fascinating cases and, and some of these very uh, interesting, incredible witnesses that have uh, just some fantastic stories to tell that, that need to be heard. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I do feel like this is an important subject. We could solve the energy crisis, the economic crisis, the energy crisis, all of which are kind of <laughs> manufactured even. We don't need that. Uh, so I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I, ho- I hope you're right. But yes, thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you come on again and talk about more some of, some of these more specific cases but uh i know we could barely scratch the surface on some of the things we talked about today but you know thank you thank you again so much hey anytime my pleasure what did the navy pilots from the u.s nimitz see that day off the coast of california on that now infamous training mission were they foreign craft top-secret U.S. drone technology, or a visiting alien race? And what is happening beneath the water? Is there some sort of underwater base? Or is it just some sort of natural phenomenon? Perhaps the recent acknowledgement by the United States military that UFOs are in fact real is the first step in moving towards some sort of disclosure and hopefully the truth. I'll be back next week with a brand new mystery, and as always... Thank you for listening to From the Void.